Okay, Hello, everyone. Oh. Yes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> what a what a what a way. Got to put that liquid this in. All right, all right. Uh, hi everyone. Welcome to the D Chart Spinners podcast with your hosts Miles Pennell and Gary Forrestal. Uh, nice to nice to be back, Gary. We posted nice. a Patreon, well, the first Patreon episode in an attempt to try and lure some people in. So it got upwards of uh, two. Uh, I think two people were lured. <laughs> So one of them paid one dollar. I know that, but yeah, we posted the first Patreon show on our normal Twitter. But do check it out. It's not the. It's not necessarily the best show. It's it's it just that happens to be the first. So there's better ones yeah. even than that. <laughs> Imagine that. So what what are we doing today, my friend? Well, today we. I feel like I'm in actually introducing. You'll hear me introduce in a second a special guest because we've got a guest today. His name is Tom Fordy, Telegraph journalist, and he wrote a piece about the XFM shows, and we love it. I honestly, I I think it's fantastic, and I would urge you all. Miles is posting the show. You will post a link, won't you? On the, yeah, of course, it's my job, mate. It's my job on the on the on the feedback page pub. <laughs> <laughs> you know where it goes there. I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, yeah, read the article. Uh, it's great. And I think, you know, obviously Tom and uh, Mars and I, we're all fans of the show. But what a lot of what Mars and I have kind of been saying, Tom has put in this piece, but he's, uh, he's far more articulate than we are. And he's got his own nuanced points that are really good. Um, and he was just, was he not just a lovely bloke? He was great. He was was a really great guy. And what I like about this interview, because we often talk about, you know, we often talk to people who have affiliations with Ricky Steve or Carl or who have worked at the station or in broadcasting in some way. But it was just really great to sort of like geek out with someone who knew the shows as well as we do. And uh, just to have a sort of a nice general discussion, really, just remembering and, you know, you know, reminding ourselves why we love the XFM shows. Yeah. Now he he is a he's in a proper he's in a proper media position. He's like a he's he's done a very good other pieces for the Telegraph and other publications. He's he's lends his article lends like this official voice, his this official seal of approval on the XFM shows because no one else in media officially properly in media unless they were directly involved in the shows or know Carl or Ricky or Steve personally really. Uh, we've I've ever come across as a fan so he's a fan he's a great journalist and um, it was nice to kind of sort of geek out you know it's nice with a guest where you can just use different lines from the show and they kind of you don't need to explain it they know you know they know what you mean (laughs) but yeah um this is the interview so do enjoy it and we'll see you at the end for a little debrief so this week, Mars, we have a very special guest, a very, very special guest, um, renowned TV <laughs> and film journalist, Tom Fordy. He writes for The Telegraph. Um, he's London-based, former men's magazine editor, and his interests include apparently lit- literary works of the 20th century and new wave European cinema. He's great. And the reason we've got him, he's written a fantastic article. We're going to put it in the link to the description of this show. So please go and read that. It genuinely is fantastic. And I'm not just saying that because he's on, but we're going to talk to him about that and other things. Uh, He's a fan of the XFM shows. Tom, how are you doing? 
I'm good, thank you. Sorry, I sort of snorted over you as you were doing an intro there. I was wondering where you dragged up that information on me. Oh, well, actually, Mars found that for me. Right. So, yeah, he, I don't know. Is that true? Is it true? It's, or I, is it... I'm, I'm pretty sure that was written ironically. <laughs> I think the, I think the full quote was might have been something like New Wave European Cinema and the career of Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah, yeah that's the, the one. <laughs> hey, that's what Mars posted for me. Oh, OK, we, we believe that. So, so, so Tom, what do you think of Hulk Hulk Hogan's doing how did you think he's doing recently? I could do a whole podcast series on that, mate. Easy. Oh, well, that's for our, our our other podcast. But um, yeah, you're a fan, aren't you? You saw you're a you're a fan of the show, and your article kind of um it's not gushing praise throughout only uh, and it's not slagging it off only it's kind of it, I felt it was very measured and kind yeah. of took into account a lot of different factors about offence and how we see a saw offence then and how we see it now what would you sort of sum up your feelings about the the Ricky Gervais show work yeah well it's funny because I, I mean I was interested to see to find out that you guys did this podcast because I thought for years I felt like I, I like I didn't know anyone else who listened to it really mm. it just felt like a sort of private thing thing that I listen to over and over and over and over again and uh, as the years have gone on it it sort of dawned on me that actually some of it is just so outrageously of its time and sort of you know out of out of sync with what what we feel is appropriate now and it was always amusing to me that it never been sort of dredged up Uh, you know what sort of historical crimes against political correctness were being sort of raised about you know Forty Towers and Little Britain Mm -hmm. and And I think it was amazing that it never sort of surfaced because it's I mean it's absolutely hilarious but it's just so of its moment I absolutely love it I mean, it just makes me laugh so much. And I, and I do, I've listened to it in a cycle for, I mean, years. <laughs> yeah, How did you like, discover it? Did you, did you listen at the time when it was live? No, I mean, I was always big into Gervais and Merchant from when The Office was first on. So I probably went backwards from the proper podcasts that they did afterwards. And I, I would have mm. probably listened to that first and then probably searching through YouTube to find the podcast yeah. probably stumbled upon XFM then. Because, uh, I, I mean, I grew up in Bristol, so I was uh, not sure XFM would have been on my cultural radar at that, it, at that time. So, yeah, I just, yeah, it's not just like that, really. And I just, just sort of carried on. I mean, that was years ago. Did you meet Steve in Bristol at all? Did I you know, know I know. I'm from the other side of Bristol to Steve, oh, so even to Gaze Avenue are slightly different. But uh, no, I mean, I've come close to interviewing him a couple of times and I did reach out. I, did, I, w- I would have liked to have interviewed him about XFM for that article. I mean, I didn't think I was going to have any luck there because he's making offenders in Bristol, I think, at the moment. So yeah, yeah that looks quite interesting, actually. Yeah. Well, the idea of Christopher Walken sort of roaming around <laughs> Bristol. Is, I know. Yeah. So Just wild. He's such a huge star. And what a, oh, he's such a charismatic, iconic actor, isn't he, as well? I've never read like any sort of press or articles or any kind of deep analysis of, of the RSK shows. And I was just like, why do you think that is? And what sort of compelled you to write about it now because the, the people who listen to this show they're just so obsessed by them like as you said you know ricky steve carl they don't really talk about it we as fans that we're all just communicating via blogs and you know reddit yeah. forums and stuff i guess it's just like why were they ignores like why and then why did you write it 
Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, I suppose the reason, I guess they're just not as well known as their sort mm. of more mainstream stuff. And particularly, I guess, because they did those podcasts afterwards, which were just so popular and so famous and well received. I mean, I guess I do feel like they've, uh, Ricky and Steve, probably, I'm saying Ricky and Steve, I don't know them, but I, I, Mr. I, I, Merch. I feel like maybe they've left them behind, the XFM stuff behind yeah. a little bit. Um, they don't seem to trumpet them very much. And I got, and the reason I wanted to write, I mean, I, you know, it was just something I wanted to write about because I, th- I think there's a lot to, to say because they they factor in into a really interesting spot I think in their careers and I mean it's funny when you watch Gervais's stuff now I mean he's mm. literally doing the same jokes that he was doing in XFM 20 years ago so he's, <laughs> the, the XFM shows tell you a lot about them as comedians and their observations and what they find is funny and the sort of sort of material they yeah. want to do a lot of it is kind of there in, in the XFM shows and I, I, I was keen to write about it because I was talking about trying to do this well over a year ago right in the science wow. because there was a lot of stuff at the time about cancel culture, cancel culture and offence within comedy and, you know, as I said, historical crimes against political correctness and that sort of thing. I thought, well, this would be a good, you know, good thing to write about to sort of see how it's mm. And it ended up getting sort of put back and put back and it didn't happen. And then, of course, the office anniversary came up. So it was a good time to revisit the show and sort of say, well, everyone's talking about The Office, but here's something else they were doing at the same time. You know? um, mm. And I did I did end up doing an article. I don't know if you saw this, but I ended up doing an article about all the co-workers at Wernham Hogg as well. Yeah. I got to interview a lot of those sort of background characters, which was great. Yeah, I think you're like us in a way, because we, when you read your article about um, the XFM shows, it's so clear and obvious that you are a genuine fan. Like the quotes you pull up, are, and yeah. you, you weren't sort of your commissioning editor didn't say, oh, write a show about this. And you kind of went off and listened to a few shows. You, the quotes you've picked like and, and sort of peppered throughout are just perfect. And you'd never know them unless you were a genuine fan of the show. And yeah. what you said about um, you thought it was just you. It was just like you just you, yeah. your weird little obsession and no one else no one else was interested in this that's what we found a lot of our listeners kind of have said to us you know when they get in contact that they felt it was just them and they're actually like it's it's great to discover they're part of a community a wider community so kind of I think your article if anything I mean it, it would it would certainly intrigue someone who hadn't listened I think and uh, pull in some new listeners but we are kind of part of a like a, a, a bit of a weird obsessive club and it's very obvious that you are actually part of that club which is I, I know the master I think you're the you're the first official person who actually writes for a paper who actually gets it <laughs> he knows about it like we've never that's what I think it's never been officially sort of talked yeah. about or written about this show before but this is this article is is exactly you know a yeah. lot of things you said we've been saying well thanks for saying that I I, I to be honest I probably could have written twice as much <laughs> so many moments that I would have liked to have talked about and covered, you know, to really get into, I seem to remember I only briefly mentioned, you know, one of the best bits is hearing about Carl's life or his back, you know, his sort of growing up in Manchester. I mean, you could get 2,000 words out of him. Oh, yeah. About his dad, you know, and all that sort of stuff. There are like specific lines that I look forward to coming, when I go like on a full cycle of the show. Yeah, yeah. There are very specific lines that I just look forward to hearing. And I mean, we're yeah. talking, you know, four or five words sometimes. Yeah. And I just go round and round. I, I mean, yeah, I've, yeah. I've, made, I've made a note of some here, actually. Yes. Give us, give, yeah, give us some favourites. Like, because I, I always like the, the stories of, like, Carl's life when it's stuff like when he's gone on holiday with Suzanne's parents or he's gone to <laughs> Land Lanzarote. The thing about when he's got the plumber around and he's bad-mouthing the plumber on the radio. Yes. And he's like, <laughs> I love yeah, this yeah. too. 
So it's stuff like that which I realize, but some of the lines is a thing where Carl says about he's moaning about the fact that he's had to buy all this stuff for down for Christmas. And he said, if you're gonna start totting up, and every time he says that, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 40, what is it like 46 46 quid? <laughs> shoot, shoot. Yeah. You basically treated like her like a horse. Of course. <laughs> he fed her and clothed her. Another line that I always really look forward to is when he says that the BAFTAs is one of the worst things he's ever done. Oh, that's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The line Such a great line. Yeah. And yeah. spending all that money on a suit to just go for one night and never wear it. I haven't worn it like, since. I think it, they resonate so much, these lines, because we would never sort of say that at, to someone, you know, in polite society ourselves. But I can totally relate to that. It being such a tedious experience to sit there for like four or five <laughs> hours when it's nothing you're not getting up on stage and I think I don't know do you feel we can kind of relate to Carl in a way that we we wouldn't necessarily say ourselves yeah I, I think I, I think the thing about it as well is you know like how the office is basically it sort of changed the way that a generation talked in a way do you know what I mean there are like mm, mannerisms oh and gervaisisms and stuff that you like I mean I do it all the time Oh, you know, yeah, I, me too. I watched the animals stand up going back a while for the first time in years, and I couldn't believe how many mannerisms and lines from that I thought oh. I'd forgotten that that's where, like I say that all the time, and I've forgotten that's where it came from. And I think the thing with Carl and the XFM shows, it's almost like an extension of that. So if you were big into those shows, you probably have this other, there's like another lexicon of, of those sorts of yeah. basic yeah. quotes, which sort of infect how you talk day to day. And I'm pretty sure that every time I say the word mental, which is yeah. a lot too a lot. much. Really. It comes from Carl saying about Monkey News this week. It's oh. been meant, you know, yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. that's where it comes from. So it's almost like it's like it sort of broadens this sort of influence to sort of the Gervais and Merchant comedy. That is so true. I, I find myself going, nah, true, baby. <laughs> I, do, I do that so many. Adam, baby, at the end of every sentence yeah it's that yeah, slurring so that gervais has isn't it it's just yeah that's slur. I, is it, do you ski yes or no i often ask people that do you ski yes or no i, I just love you know it's just a great question but you're right miles and i kind of before we started doing the podcast and we thought well this would be good to actually this is what the, what we should do a podcast about we used to um just text each other lines from the show right. out of context and that was just all we did no context around them just the line and we kind of <laughs> we loved it you know it's just it was so good getting that line and Mars and I were lucky that we actually met each other in real life and we both knew each other and we both liked the shows independently whereas most people we find because there's so few of them relatively they're dotted about in place to place and they don't know anyone personally who kind of yeah. likes the shows as well so again your your article kind of sums it up brilliantly I think do you have um Tom do you have uh, sort of friends who are into the shows or no I do, do you know, most of my male friendships are built on shared taste in comedy. I mean, The Office and Alan Partridge mm. and yeah. that sort of thing. That was, like, that was big for me and my mates at the time. But I, I, honestly, none of my close friends listen to it. And I, I've said it, you know, I've sort of recommended it a lot. But I, yeah, people, I don't really know anyone. So I was really interested to sort of find your podcast and realise that actually there is this kind of subculture, this sort of fandom, which I didn't really, like, I haven't obviously, I, I would fit right in, but I haven't really been aware of it. Yeah, so it's nice to know that there, <laughs> there are other people. Yeah. Not, not well, we, we get we get upwards of three <laughs> listeners a week, so you know, there's a, a big community out there. Um, one thing you touched on, like, um, when you're talking about the, the podcast that they did, which was hugely successful, and my yeah. favourite bit of your article is, towards the end, we said the Ricky Gervais show left XM 
Ram for Good in 2005 and relaunched as a no holds barred, hugely successful podcast with the reins completely off and the podcast and later animated TV version never had the same edge as the XFM original, lacking that sense of them pushing their luck and just about getting away with it. That, that's a great contrast. And we deliberately said, Miles and I, when we did this, this we're going to go through every show that they've done starting on series two and three four go back to series one but we're not we're not ever really going to go onto the podcast episodes because they they lack something i think you summed it up really well what they kind of they lack and also they're it's sort of we don't mind the swearing but it's funnier it's funnier when the swearing subversive rather than ricky just saying the c word over and over and over again they're not as special and meaningful as yeah. the xfm shows but they're much more well known yeah, thanks, man. It's um, yeah, I've never been as fully on board with them. It's just, it just mm-hmm. is, and I do think the other thing because with X Men there is a sense of naughtiness of them. They they are getting away <laughs> with it and sort of pushing as far as they can. Mm. But the other thing is, I think there's a bit of a dynamic shift as it goes on as well. And I tend mm-hmm. to prefer the sort of series one, series two X Men shows where they're still sort of discovering Carl and they're still very pally with him. They're still very nice to him. And I think the dynamic starts to shift a little bit and it gets in places a little bit nasty. And I, I always find the later podcast to be much more, well, let's just be quite unpleasant <laughs> to Carl yeah. Wilkinson, you know. Yeah, yeah. for the sake so, of it. And a bit contrived. Yeah, it's just, I just didn't, don't enjoy the dynamic quite as much. Yeah, it's not as, it's not as real and natural mm. as it is. I'll give you in series. And we started decided to start on series two because we felt that it's the best series, really, because series one, you're building up to that and you're kind of creating that dynamic. But series two, it's kind of there and in place. As the series progress, we've said it gets more and more contrived and, as you say, more nasty. Um, series two, certainly, it's, um, it's such a classic body of work yeah i'm midway through series two again at the minute so <laughs> okay i was trying to listen to as many as i could in preparation for coming on to chat to you guys any favorite um, moments of series two that you can think of i think the most recent thing I've, I've just gone past the sort of the christmas i mean i really like the christmas rockbusters is that series two? <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like such and such that oh and have a good christmas that is shit carl <laughs> I'm sorry, I know it's Christmas. <laughs> Foreigner. Yeah. And Foreigner. The story about the the box of condoms as well when they come back is very, very oh. funny. That's a classic. <laughs> My favourite part of your um, article, Tom, because it's it's an interesting angle as well. And I think also everything kind of now is kind of viewed in that sort of retrospective spectrum. Like I could listen to the shows now and just take them on face value. I'm, I'm never looking at it in a, in a modern context, but I like that you said, so now you say these days, Ricky Gervais is a self-appointed arbiter of offense in comedy who reaches for the most offensive gags he can think up as proof that he can say whatever he likes. Back in the XFM days, he was less belligerent. He often apologized to listeners in case they were offended by Pilkington's ill thought out comments. And as you said, you know, he does he does get nastier as the shows go on. And certainly when you're dipping into the podcasts, I mean, the amount of swearing and then insults and cruelty, like I, I've, I actually, I can take the bullying in the XFM shows, but it's it's just such a nastier edge by the time you get to the podcast. Do you have thoughts on how Ricky's changed in his career? Yeah, I, it just feels like, it's funny with Gervais, like, really, like he's sort of my comedy hero, really. I mean, he, mm. he, like when The Office came out, it was like the style and the rhythm of it and the delivery, it was almost like it had been, it was like I'd never heard it before, but it was like mm, it was designed mm. especially for my sense of humour, you know? Yeah. So I felt like a bit of a tricky relationship 
with his stuff <laughs> in the years since because I feel like he's I think part of the problem is that he doubled down you know I think there have been a few occasions where he's been called out for stuff where he could have said do you know what maybe I've got this wrong sorry about that yeah and I and I and I think in those early in the early stuff and the XFM shows and like in the animals stand up there is a sense of humility and I know he puts on this sort of like bravado about you know I got a few quid now and all that sort of stuff <laughs> but it is from a position of you know he's sort of taking the piss out of himself but I think now he's so big famous and powerful the, the, the sort of dynamic the power dynamic has shifted a little bit and I think it does feel like he's doubled down it does feel like sometimes the comedy it's like it's it's so easy like to come out and do trans material and do yeah. stuff about ill kids and that sort of stuff and I just think it's not about being offended I just think it's just not that good it's not that smart yeah it's not as funny yeah, and I do, and the thing with Afterlife is that he is doing basically the same material as he was doing on XFM. You know, it's like, oh, here comes a bit about noisy eater, or here comes a bit about atheism and oh. that sort of stuff. I find that it's just a bit. But having said all that, he does is some of his stuff just makes me laugh so much. You know, the Office Christmas specials were such a special. They were such a big thing for me. They really, they really just struck a chord at the right moment. It sort of guided what I wanted to. Do. You know, they sort of encouraged me to become a writer really mm. and uh, some of their other stuff as well you know like uh, extras I'm you know I was a big fan of as well and that's the ending of it is because it's quite a cold show it's like quite it's purposely you know quite cold it's about quite unlikable people and then at the end they do this rug pull where it's like mm -hmm. suddenly full of heart and it's really emotional and it's really brilliant so yeah I have had a little bit of a tricky sort of thing with Gervais's comedy over the years. I'm not sure that I'm as big a fan of him now um, as, I, as I have been in the past. So it'd be interesting to see what Afterlife 3 is, is like. It's massively popular, yeah. but it feels, I'm not sure I was that into it. It's, it's really fun. divided people, actually. Like, obviously, yeah. I spend far too much time that is healthy on those Reddit threads. And there's just such a distaste for like afterlife, and um, like you said, how easy the comedy is, and compared to the it's sort of cliche, one. it's cliche. just it's what it's very very acclaimed series as well. At the same time, you mentioned um, that the office kind of got you interested in becoming a writer. Do you have any other sort of like TV like references? Obviously, you mentioned Partridge, and what was it like to get into journalism and to uh, write about TV in that sort of like critical way because I, I love I love reading this stuff and it's um yeah. you know, I, I mean I'm a huge film buff anyway but I wonder what it's like that to have that as a career like it's, it's quite a cool thing yeah well I mean there are lots of I mean British comedy is has always been a really big thing for me you know from you know sort of growing up with Blackout of Only Fools Noises is a big one yeah. for me as well mm, big, mm. so Partridge obviously you know Peach Show like, I mean all the sort of obvious stuff really um getting into yeah I mean I, I sort of started writing I originally I'd want I wanted to write for TV I mean I worked I worked in a shop for 10 years right I did retail management for 10 years and then I decided that I was actually going to try and become a writer so script writing was what I wanted to do originally I mean me and probably you know a billion other people and uh, <laughs> as time went on I just I started to review stuff because it was something I could do and a way to cut my teeth and I'd read you know film magazines for years and years and then it just I just sort of fell into journalism like that and I, I you know I love writing about tv comedy um I, find, I, I think there's Thing is, I think my job is really like I'm, I sort of enjoy things professionally. <laughs> I'm very good at like enjoying films and comedy and articulating what it is I like about them. You know, that's what I, I enjoy doing. So hard to do though. So I don't, you probably like, I don't know if you like Mark Kermode and the, the Kermode and Mayo show, yeah. but such an art to, to reviewing something like what, what is the secret yeah. to like a great 
review would would you say if you're approaching something in that in that sort with that critical faculty yeah well i guess i mean there are a few points always i always think you know you need to sort of explain what it is if it's any good but i think the, the most important thing really is context it's like well what is the context that a film or a tv show is within like and what context are you sort of reviewing it within you know what are you holding it up against what are you you know comparing it to or contrasting it to you know it's no good you know reviewing sort of holding the latest adam sandler up against citizen kane you've got to think well does it work within the context of adam sandler similar similar yeah Gervais stuff you know like with the xfm you've got to think of it within the context of well the officers being made at the same time and you know all the other stuff that's come since and you know referencing the fact that Gervais now take you know sees himself as his arbiter of offense so that's all you know the sort of you know the, the context you need to bear in mind yeah. but you know it's I, I love it it's great i just i get to watch a lot of comedy a lot of movies oh. and, you know it's fun and i get to speak to a lot of interesting people as well you know i sort of i, I interview a lot, a lot of comedians and what you know personalities yeah. and that, that's always fun as well yeah oh. so that's true do you want a job swap me <laughs> for, for a while do? I, I'm a student, actually. <laughs> I'm an old student. <laughs> he I mean, hasn't had a I job mean, for years, PhD. Tom. He hasn't no, worked for no, years. No, don't work. You could get, you know, stuff in. But no, I was going to say, um, how do you feel then, Tom, that your writing's changed over the years? Um, or do you, do you feel it has changed over the years as you've gained experience? But also, for example, this piece you've written about the XFEM shows, it's very much contextualised in within the sort of cancel, cancel culture period. So do you feel that a lot of your writing now kind of places things within that context of cancel culture? Or do you feel, you know, you've developed as a writer in that way? Or do you feel you've been forced to change as a writer or just change naturally? Um, well, I mean, I mean, the cancel culture stuff is interesting. It's just, I mean, you, I write mm, about that sometimes because that's the, the trending topic of the day. You know, that's what people... Mm. Uh, talking about or sharing about you mm. know that's what's newsworthy at the moment but just I mean g- generally as a writer yeah I guess I mean I have changed I mean I'd like to think I'm, I'm a better writer than I was <laughs> yeah. and I don't know I mean I get to write I think this thing is like as the job's going on I've got to do more and more to write more and more about things that I enjoy like things that are quite close to my heart things that are favorites of mine so getting to do you know like this XFM piece or like um I got to interview last year like uh Vic Reeves oh wow and Adam Boxton and people like so getting to do stuff like that you know I mean that comes from sort of I guess building up some currency and as you become more professional and better known I guess you sort of get opportunities like that so being able to do things like that have been you know a, a big change and it's sort of amazing what was um, what was Vic like mm. yeah absolutely amazing because uh, I I was so, so half expecting to be a bit grumpy because I, I used to, <laughs> he's I, quite I, cold isn't he yeah I used to work in a shop that he came into years ago and he was a bit frosty and of course I mean yeah. what you know he's not there yeah no <laughs> I remember him on a podcast and he was not I didn't think he was that great anyway I got him on the phone he was brilliant he was absolutely brilliant he was so nice oh, fantastic and we were because I was writing about shooting stars it was the 25th oh really so it was specifically about shooting stars and I sort of got the impression that he had a lot of well I don't got the impression he he had a lot of love for it and a lot of you know warmth for looking back on, on the show and there were some really great stories about guests they'd had on and stuff like that so get, getting to mm. do you know speak to him was yeah it was amazing oh wow do you uh, any plans to speak to Bob well he's, he's got an autobiography coming out so he probably yeah. will be doing interviews so I don't I don't know if I'll have the privilege but I mean I would love to obviously 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it sounds like you've built up a heck of a lot of, as you say, currency. Um, and as you become more successful, you get to do more of what you specifically want to do. And um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, um, because our, the fans of our podcast and wider XFM fans, they talk a lot about wanting, so there's, there's a split between those who would like to see a reunion, those who'd love, love them to be reunited today and those yeah. that, that don't I mean kind of in the camp that I'd, I would not want to see it like them today yeah. the dynamic would be so different in so many different levels not just like take the podcasts that they did that were different it would be different on a whole other scale it would just you could never recreate that magic again is my opinion and I think yeah. Mars is as well but what's your opinion on them getting back together today do you want to see it I mean I would absolutely listen to or watch it <laughs> but yeah. I, I I think the di- I think the dynamic has changed so much. They're just in different places in their career that it would just not. I think it would not have the same. Do you know what I mean? Would not have. It would, no. yeah, it would not be the same. I don't think. But uh, if they're gonna do it, I'll have a listen. I'd listen to it, but I wouldn't like crave it. I think. I mean, it's this thing about Gervais doubling down as well. You know, I, I just think he, he might be, he might be slightly unbearable on it. I think of it slightly you know, yeah. if it happened now. I I never got on well with like this because he's doing that thing with Sam Harris, isn't he? At the moment, oh, I, don't, I feel like I'm being preached to at the moment like, by by Gervais. Just feel like he's like a pseudo intellectual academic type, and I, that's always the problem I think you get with comedians these days. It's not about it's what's so great about Vic and Bob. It's just to me that's like another authentic type of comedy because it's so surreal and wacky and childlike. But it's it's really bloody hard to do that as well like and there's no arrogance there's no pretense to it it's just it just is what it is it's yeah i think i mean this is part of the thing with afterlife as well i think there's a little bit of it's basically him wandering around and being told that he's right i'd love that (laughs) it's kind of just i don't know it's like validation of why he's smart and why he's bang on all the time and i think that's he's a he we we say like he's really arrogant on the xfm shows but it's done in a funny way and that makes such a difference that turns the arrogance from something that sort of puts you off that's a negative to write to some oh that's that's really funny like because he's he's kind of arrogant but then he takes piss out of himself as well and it's done with the humor but now it seems to the the arrogant side seems to be there but without the humor i mean i know it's an act you know i know he's sort of it's an act i mean when i say you know in afterlife i mean i do mean that you know it's the the character as opposed to to base himself but i do think it's this thing of the act that sort of act of being you know i've got loads of money i'm really successful this stuff it's it's not quite it's just not as funny now that he he is mega mega yeah yeah Yeah. Um, but then you know when i went back and um and i hadn't watched the office for a while it's always a treat uh, and yeah when i rewatched it i mean yeah. it's just so special to me and just so, so spe- yeah just I, genius I, you I know agree. so I, I i sort of having done that recently i regained some warmth warmth for because <laughs> yeah. well, i was just it was a reminder of just how much his comedy has sort of meant to me over the years it's it's, mm. it's nice to have that separation and that, and that that ongoing appreciation like you will still always cherish ricky from you know <laughs> o2 to Oh, yeah. five where uh, compared to now because i think because uh, otherwise i think it'd be so unfair to other just be so dismissive of you know everything because he's so prolific you can't you can't it's hard to take that away from him i suppose but um and i guess the other thing as well is that uh, probably my comedy tastes have changed as well you yeah know, that's I mean, true. when i was 20 
you know, saying the most outrageous thing possible <laughs> was hilarious. I thought that was hilarious, you know. Mm. And now I'm a bit older and I sort of, you know, I sort of see things from a different perspective and probably a bit, you know, I'd like to think from, a, you know, a more informed position in regards to some of those sort of more sensitive issues. Mm. I probably, my, my taste have changed. And I don't, you know, that was his, his last stand-up when he, he was doing the stuff about the ill kids. It's like, yeah, um, yeah, he's really pushing it. Just, it. I just don't, it's not something that I've, We'll find funny now, whereas like yeah. you know, fifteen years. Well, I love that you your your line that it was a self. I don't have it from the self appointed arbiter of what's offensive, like <laughs> yeah. in comedy. That's that's such a great way of putting it because he kind of he is that in his own head. But to be fair yeah. to him, he's been mega successful at that, and his shows are still successful. But he'll always, as you as you said as well, he'll always be a comedy hero to me personally for what yeah. he did with the X Fem shows and The Office. And The Office, I think, is the greatest piece of art that I've ever seen. And I think we're similar ages when it came out, you know, it's formative yeah. years. It's just just so different to everything else. And so he'll always be a hero. But yeah. you, you I and where your piece is so good is it it's kind of not just gushing praise of, of someone who is your hero. It's it's actually like a very nuanced. Yeah. Thanks for that. I, I and I think the, the other thing is why I think at the time there was this thing about in the office and they do it in, X, in XFM where they're kind of pushing the boundaries all the time and getting away with like this like sort of challenging topics like racism and homophobia mm, and mm. saveless attitudes and they're, they're challenging it with this like sense of irony and tackling it head on and at the time I mean that felt absolutely crucial like it felt it felt mm. like a revelation to people talking about those issues like that so it's tackling them head on and it's sort of yeah. but when I look back now I wonder was it just people from a position of privilege just getting away with saying what they wanted under the pretense of like you know under this sort of thin veil of, of irony uh so i mean i just think that's you know that says a lot about how comedy and comedy you know taste and comedy have changed as well so but at the time it was all that sort of stuff seems it seemed like Fresh. a revelation in tv yeah comedy. yeah how do you see that the the future the future of comedy because you're definitely seeing like more comedy dramas i, I would argue yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. Where, where do you feel that it's sort of going? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I wish there was more TV comedy. I mean, this is the biggest problem is that it doesn't get commissioned enough. But there was good stuff around. I mean, yeah, I don't know if I've got a particular hot take on the direction it's going. Uh, I mean, there's still good, good comedy being made. I just think not enough mm. of it. I don't, I mean, I'm not... Somewhat, you know, I don't know where I fall on the sort of the offence issue, really. Because, I, I mean, I'm of, of the belief that no no topic should be off the table right i mean like yeah. art and comedy is how we make sense of difficult things you know that's that's what it's there for that's why you know yeah. so much of the world's great art is about your painful subjects or difficult subjects so i think the question to borrow a phrase from jurassic park or paraphrase <laughs> just because you, you just because you can't you know you spent so long thinking about whether you could you stop the thing whether you should because you can say something should you do you know what i mean can you put yourself in the position of someone that be this comedy is going to affect or going to upset, you know? And I think that's something that Gervais has struggled with and certainly they doubled down on over the years. Um, yeah. so, but I, I personally think everything should be on the table, but it doesn't necessarily mean that comedy needs to be unpleasant and offensive for the sake of it. Um, yeah. And I think there's some really brilliant stuff being done. I loved um, This Country. I thought it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it. And it's something that The Office did. It's sort of, I did the Royal Family as well, I would say, but they, oh. they sort of gave British sitcom heart, you know? Like, it needs that sort of pathos and it needs yeah. that sort of emotion and even partridge came you know as the years went on he became mm. a 
a lot more relatable and there's a lot more emotion and I think we will become more emotionally connected with Partridge and I think a lot of that dates back to the influence of stuff like the Royal Family in the Office so I think that's been a really important contribution and it's also something I think that Afterlife had a problem with is that it rushes in for this like emotional mm. stuff just get straight yeah. into it without really building up that currency and earning those, those emotions that you get with like Tim and Dawn over it oh yeah episodes, you know? it's uh, so true yeah do you, I, I, I what did you think i don't know if you saw this but steve was asked on twitter something like what's your worst cliche that you ever see in comedy and he wrote something i can't remember what he wrote exactly but basically dead wife trying to get over it and he's clearly referring to afterlife like yeah. no, stop talking about your fucking dead wife wasn't it like something like the worst cliche and he said something like uh, looking at photos of loved yeah. ones so you can yeah it's, 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 yeah it is a cliche and it is it is that thing. i just think afterlife it was from the outset it was kind of like hammering the the sort of melancholy and the emotion i mean De derek was a bit like that as well not oh yeah off, very far through that but um so you do need to earn it you know you've got a sort of, and that's something that this country did really well it's, it did it kind of earns yeah. the, 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 that sort of pathos and stuff because you're stuck with yeah it really felt for the characters by the end of it father so, ted father ted although that was in ireland but it was kind of felt like this country so father ted also in a more slapstick kind of way i feel was yeah. kind of hit that emotion at times yeah, especially yeah. the ending of the last one yeah i guess that's great. they were great days yeah absolutely i mean it's a fascinating time for if you look at the sort of 90s um and sort of going into the early 2000s a fascinating time for sitcom like yeah, British, how it changed from you know from studio setup to this sort of like real you know it's this realism and real world style thing and it sort of comes through the royal family and the office and phoenix knights and that peter k oh. thing. and like the studio sitcom scene immediately was just like old hat if you look at like fools and horses did their what was meant to be their final christmas specials in 1996 and it oh. came back in about, I, I think it was like 2001 or something. Shouldn't it have. seems like, yeah, firstly, they shouldn't have, but it already seemed like so out of date, which it hadn't done just five yeah. years. Yeah, it's interesting. And it, that's, the sitcom like changed so much in that time and it all became about the mockumentary and realism and all that sort of thing. Mm. Do, you, do you think it slightly became too much about that? Like, and it's well, almost gone the other way. Yeah, I did, there does seem to have been a little bit of a backlash. I sort of, I've seen a few comments over the recent years about, oh, now every comedy has to be real life and has to be, you know, mm. mockumentary or this sort of thing. And I, I guess, you know, it's. I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with studio sitcoms or studio make comedy. I can't. Mrs. Brown's boys. I was just going to say. Recent years. <laughs> Well, um, I'm not sure I think there's too much of it, but there are other ways to do comedy, you know, I guess. Because I, I would have said a few years ago, probably the mockumentary had been done enough, but then like people just do nothing in this country comes along and think, well, actually, these are really good. Um, Tom, I want just to sort of wrap up and discuss your yeah. favourite movies, because I can't see what poster you've got behind. Robocop 2. Okay, so we've got oh, the flavour, yeah. cult, cult science fiction movies. <laughs> Do you have any yeah. sort of uh, favourite films that you could mention? Well, yeah, the, the Babysitter with Hulk Hogan. What's the one where he's babysitting? <laughs> baby, baby. Mr yeah. Nanny. Must be Mr Nanny, that must be. Now, I'm not sure it would quite break the top ten, but uh, <laughs> uh, I, I would tend to say LA Confidential is way up nice. there as a favourite. Yeah. I mean, Jaws, I mean, it's not Classic. revelatory, but it's just really probably timeless the best modern films ever what made. You, what do you think of uh, The Silence of the Lambs? I love it. I love it. Yeah, yeah I've uh, it quite a lot, actually. Yeah, yeah. it's such a, um, such a brilliant film. 
Yeah, I like Manhunter a lot as well, which is a really annoying yeah. film student thing to say, but I do. Mm, no, <laughs> but just as a child of the 80s as well, you know, things like, I mean, Ghostbusters, The Lost Boys, Team Wolf, which is by no means oh. a five-star film, but it is a big one for me. And, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, anything like that. I like Bond as well. I'm a big Bond fan. Okay. Are you looking forward Who's to the new Bond? Bond? I am looking forward to the new Bond. I mean, once again, I could talk about that a lot because uh, I think we're sort of I feel like we I feel like he's doing one film too many I feel like yeah it, I'm it, the same mm. I feel exactly like everyone has a, a natural life cycle and I feel like Craig sort of organically yeah. came to a close at the end of the last one but however I'm game for a good bond you know if they've got yeah. something already I'm well up for that Timothy Dalton life cycle one over <laughs> you're out <laughs> Who's your favourite Bond? Uh, well, I, if I turn the laptop round the other way, you'll see a big Timothy Dalton poster. Oh, wow, that's <laughs> it. His two films are, I think, very good. Um, I, although, I don't know. The thing with Bond is that I think each one, once again, it's all about context, you know, because each era is his own thing, really. It's difficult to put <gasps> Octopussy up against... Goldfinger, or you know, certainly something like Casino Royale up against, yeah, yeah, A View to a Kill. So they're all very much they've got, I think, they've got their own thing and they've got their own, you know. What, what about Pierce Brosnan? I like Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> He's my, he was my Bond. I loved the campy I like him, yeah. Bond. Well, it's, it's a funny thing with Brosnan because GoldenEye is very good and it's one of these, yeah. Very- like every, every few years, Bond needs to reboot, right? It gets too silly, it goes to self-parody, and then it needs to reboot. And, and mm. that's, part of, that's part of the cycle, right? So you go from like, um, it happened with Moonraker, and then they have to go down to sort of bring it back to basics with Free Eyes Only, and then it happened with A View to a Kill, Into yeah. Dalton. And then GoldenEye is this thing where they sort of rebooted it for the 90s, and suddenly it's like, it's part of like Cool Britannia, and it's the lads era Bond, mm. all that stuff, you know? So it's totally of the, of the zeitgeist. But I think when you look back at his other films, I think they've aged very badly. The 90s were not... Oh, they are bad. What, do you mean his films in general, his Bond films? His, or just his, his films? Oh, his Bond films. I think GoldenEye's yeah. great. And the thing about Brosnan, he is like, if you built Bond from the ground up, the perfect Bond, he's the man. Really. Like, he's, <laughs> he looks <laughs> like, yeah. Brilliant Bond. But the, the films have not aged well, I don't think. Uh, <laughs> he would agree with you. Although I'd love to a laser watch. It would just look I, like I, a laser watch. I think, honestly, bring him back. Give him... Let him have, <laughs> let him have his Dark Knight Returns moment. Bring him yes. back. Make, oh, bring. make amends for how miserable his era ended. Bring him back. Oh, can you imagine? Out with his dark, with his dark <laughs> brooding <laughs> hair, and his, yeah. his Mamma Mia face. When, oh. when, when, Daniel, <laughs> when Daniel Craig was announced as Bond, there's a website, and I've checked it regularly. It's still going called DanielCraig'sNotBond.com. <laughs> They were so there was so much because he because he was blonde basically so it didn't, just didn't look like Bond so but I think that's that's a, that's a bit unfair he's a, he's clearly probably if you just took the actors as terms of how well they can act literally he probably is the best actor but yeah. I don't know like comedy maybe it's become more gritty in real life and lifelike and less slapstick over the years I think Bond could do with lightening up a bit I think this is part of the thing yeah. it's very po-faced like it's very serious mm. and I think you know I could do with a bit of Roger Moore to be honest I could do with a bit yeah. of cheeky yeah. and naughtiness you know play it again Sam 
piano for us. That's from the show. But um, oh, we don't want to don't want to take up too much. You've been so such a pleasure to, uh, to oh. talk to you, Tom, and uh, we've talked to you for hours. We'd well, love to have you on again as well. Oh, any time, man. Time. I really appreciate you asking me on. And um... oh, it's, that was so interesting. It's it's great to also have some of the films. Gary's talking a lot about films, Tom, but he's only ever seen one film, and that's The King's Speech. It's not, not quite true, but I've seen one film in the last few years. I'm just not film. I don't. I can't sit through a film. I've got like um. I get. I get my attention span goes. But I have seen The Silence of the Lambs. I've seen films as my show. But I uh, those are, I don't tend to see modern films. So yeah, thank you for your your uh, talk about it because you you I've been educated and uh, but I just I just not a film watcher. I will ask you before I go. Did, did you watch? You didn't watch uh, Fighting with My Family then? Did I, I Mars keeps saying to me, "Watch Fighting with Your Family." Um, I haven't watched it. No, but I I, I plan to at some point. <laughs> if I'm going to watch a film, I'll watch that. <laughs> well, I'm I'm a big big wrestling fan, and oh, so, oh that's the perfect it's film. Hulk it? Hogan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so lots of things came together for me for that film, um, <laughs> which is very strange. But yeah, no, I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, well, Tom, you've you've got um you've got two new XFM buddies. If you want to have a pint, we're definitely <laughs> up for reading us some quotes. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. And yeah, I just want to say, if I, I can't emphasize this enough, read his article, please. We'll link it in the description. You, it's so it's so nuanced and so well written. Love it. And thank you again, Tom, for can coming I, on. Can I just say, Gary, buy the Telegraph. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. That's very kind of you to say. Thanks again for having me on. So that was Tom Fordy. Great guy, really nice person and very interesting as well. And it was an interesting chat and a bit different to guests we've had on before, I think. Don't you don't you think, Mars? Because it's he's 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 still in an official, like he's in a proper media position, but he's he's a true fan in a way that no one else, even Richard Anderson, isn't doesn't listen to the shows these <laughs> days, really. And um Tom is a true XFM geek, a little nerd. Nerdlinger no. and um, a really nice guy as well. And uh, it's just interesting to hear that sort of critical voice from someone who's made that their career, essentially. You know, someone who's got that sort of that reviewer kind of mind. And uh, I could have easily talked to him about so many about comedy and TV and film, especially. And what an amazing oh. job that you get to write, essentially making what you like to watch your your passion and your, your yeah, passion yeah. your work i was truly jealous of that i would um i would love to do that on i mean we've kind of done it to this with this pod but it's not financially stable enough to make it our career that one dollar is gonna goes far my friend you know you, each one dollar adds up hey i will not patient. sniff at one dollar i will not sniff at one dollar yes you bloody well you bloody well I were earlier or, 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 but were you impressed that i sort of engaged with him on films seriously yeah, i was proud of you i mean well, i mean to be proud fair you mentioned two films that you've seen silence of the lambs and king's speech Right. And the other one was the birdcage. If I had to, if I had to be pressed oh, well. on the bird, that was. Uh, yeah, we should have asked him about the birdcage, shouldn't we? I wanted it's to ask classic. him about Lost in Translation, and because that's my favourite film of all time. Is he what? Uh, but maybe he'll come on the show again. He said he would. So, um, and, and he's got himself a couple of XFM buddies at the end of it. Before we before we wrap up, a couple of little developments that have happened in the interim. Our friend Jack Bromfield. 
and I did get his name right there. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he is... is he? Yeah, you pronounced his name wrong, didn't you? I did. I'm so yeah, sorry, sorry, Jack, man. I've got to remember a lot of things in my day to day life. Um, birthdays. He's hosting another XFM pub quiz at the Dove Pub in London, which is just by Broadway Market or on Broadway Market. And this time, all of the questions are going to be on series two. So, you know, these shows that we're reviewing currently. Last one went down a storm think this one will be just as good and hopefully a few more of you can pop down and hopefully we can pop down this time it's going to happen in october i'll put a link into the description of like uh times and prices because there is an administration charge of course yeah. but there, uh, you could win some, there really? uh, i think it, i think it's like three quid to enter but oh, okay. hey take that out of the patreon fund yeah well no we haven't got enough um <laughs> no uh by all accounts jack put on a really good quiz last time i was really impressed with how many people he got just just for that and the fact he put on he came up with all the questions and it, it, it you know we weren't there but it apparently went down very well so very impressive highly impressive jack and uh, well done for putting it on and uh yeah we might see you there might my yeah, well, you know, I don't, com- I don't commit to anything more than half an hour into the future. Or relationships, you know or yeah, no, no, I do. <laughs> they just don't. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, um, thank you uh, everyone for listening. Please do join us on Patreon. You can listen to Glen. Uh, you can listen to Glen. Uh, you can listen to Glen. Right? It's Glen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We're on Twitter. Uh, Spinners podcast there where we post loads of nonsense and uh, tweets that go with varying levels of success please do rate review and subscribe on Apple I'd love to get some more reviews on there for my ego and to get the word out there the good gospel of the D T D what is it T D trout spinners T- you forgot the name I'm, I'm talking DTS. T- yeah, you're talking. You're yeah, not making right. sense, man. Yeah, all right. DTS. That's the that's the acronym. He's very- He's a bit jittery today. I don't know what he is. I know, I'm nervous. Um, no, but we're only doing an intro and outro. We've done no. this. You know, we, we interviewed Tom earlier. We're both a bit nervous. But no, uh, just to leave it on this, Tom, lovely fella. Thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll see you with a normal show next week. <laughs> <laughs>